Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We're glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Remembrance. That's what we're going to be doing today. We're, we're here to honor Jesus by taking communion together in remembrance of Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we, we love you. Man, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us grace and hope and mercy. Thank you for loving us. You're the awesome, incredible God of our lives. And today, Lord, we, we remember you. Jesus, we, we remember you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So today we, we will be taking the Lord's Supper. And so if you need to grab your elements, now would be a good time for you to pause the, the video and go grab those elements. Whatever, whatever you have, whatever juice or water or something that you have and, and crackers or bread or something like that, just go grab what you will use uh, to take the Lord's Supper. And then we'll, we'll be back here in just a moment. I want to thank Brother Andy for letting me have this opportunity to lead the church in the Lord's Supper. Um, he is, uh, have, has had a vacation, a well-deserved vacation, and, and I know he's looking forward to uh, being back at work and back with you. And so uh, next week, uh, you will hear uh, Brother Andy as we resume the uh, sermon series, The Glory of the Gospel. But today, we pause um, on this July 5th. And uh, we take the Lord's Supper. We remember Jesus. Remembering. We remember all kinds of things. I remember, uh, well, my, my first memory, my, my very first memory was uh, when my parents were taking apart my crib. I remember very vividly standing in the hallway and just peering around the door and watching my mom and dad work together in quite a conflicted way as they, they took apart my, my crib. I, I, I wonder if I remember that just because it was a traumatic moment for me as they were taking away my bed. Or maybe I was excited because I would be in a big boy bed. I, I really don't know why I remember that, but I do. I, I remember, I remember my first home run. I was about sixth grade. Uh, the, the fence was only 180 feet. But for me, that was quite a feat as I hit the ball. And it was one of those hits that uh, when it left the bat, I knew it was going to be a home run. Um, I also remember the first home run I ever hit in softball. I was much older. I was about 33 years old, uh, playing on a softball field in Illinois, in Marion, Illinois, for a church league softball game. And um, we had a really good team. And our home run limit in that league was six per game. And I came up to bat, uh, and, and left field, it was really short. It was only about 250 feet. And I, I pulled the ball right down the third base line every time. Well, we were up by a whole lot, uh, and so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for it here. And the pitch was just perfect on the inside part of the plate, and I swung and, and connected, and the ball flew, and it went over the fence. And, and I rounded the bases. I was so excited. It was the first home run I'd ever hit in slow-pitch softball. And I crossed the plate, and the batter yells, Batter's out. Home run limit reached. 
That's the seventh home run. And everybody on my team just started laughing because I had hit a home run but was called out. Well, it turns out that one of the home runs that had been hit was an inside-the-park home run. So my seventh home run that was over the fence actually ended up counting. And, uh, of course, I just I remember that. Um, I remember my wedding day. We got up early that day. I mowed the lawn because we were going to be gone for a week on a honeymoon. Um, I remember having to deliver a mirror up to the church where Shannon was because uh, there wasn't a mirror there. And, and of course, uh, she and her bridesmaids needed one. Um, I remember being filled with joy and, and, and crying as Shannon was walking down the aisle just with this overwhelming sense of wildness. Um, I remember those things. They're very significant. I remember last year when my dad passed away. I remember very vividly that day. My brothers and I were uh, sitting in his hospice room. Uh, three of us were there, and one brother was on the way, and our families were there, our wives. And we were just sitting there. His dad was laying in the bed, and, and we could hear him breathing. He was He was not responsive by this time. And we were just sitting around cutting up, as brothers do, and there was a lot of laughter in the room, and we were reminiscing about days old. And then there was just this moment where we all looked at each other and realized the breathing had stopped. We remember lots of things, and they're usually pretty significant. Sometimes there's just a random memory that that has no real significance, um, but by and large, very significant events. I remember the day of my salvation, the day I gave my life to Jesus I was at Ferris Avenue Baptist Church in Waxahachie, Texas. The church is now known as The Avenue. Um, I was at a revival. I'd been uh, every week or every, every night that week, and it was on Wednesday night. And God was drawing me. God was wooing him. Over the course of the previous weeks prior to that, I had given every excuse as to, to why not to be a believer, why not to take that leap of faith. But on that Wednesday night, I did, I did, and I I uh, told the preacher that I was ready to follow Jesus. Um, they handed me off to a man named Larry Burks. Larry took me off to the choir room, and there were several others in there, and, and Larry, I don't remember what tract, but he opened up just a simple tract to make sure that I understood the truths of the gospel, and uh, it was there that I gave my life to Jesus. We remember And so today we are remembering our Lord. And so I'm going to read Luke chapter 22. This is verses 7 through 16. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. 
And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I want to talk a little bit about the Passover just to remind you of what that is. So Israel was in slavery. Israel was in slavery in Egypt and God heard their cry and God raised up a man who would bring them out of captivity. And that man was Moses. You guys know it was Moses. So Moses now was uh, past 80 years old. He was uh, with the Israelites and he was going to Pharaoh to represent for them to negotiate their freedom, to negotiate their ability to roam and travel and not be under under such bondage. Well, Pharaoh didn't like that, and God said, okay, I'm going to bring plagues among you. And so there was this course of, of ten plagues where there was this negotiation of, yes, you can go, no, you need to stay. The Pharaoh, yes, you can leave, no, you need to stay. So finally, uh, God had enough, and on, on the tenth plague, God said, if you do not release my people, the firstborn of all children and all, all livestock um, will die. Well, um, at the same time, the Israelites were told, listen, when this tenth plague hits, what you need to do is you're going to sacrifice your lamb. You're going to put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost and across the top. And on the day of the tenth plague, uh, the angel of death will, will come and, and the angel of death will, will pass over your house, if you have the lamb's blood on there. Well, that's what happened. Um, the tenth plague ensued. All the firstborn died. And Pharaoh said, you can go. I've had enough. You can go. And, of course, the Israelites leave. And then as they are leaving, Pharaoh changes his mind. His army pursues them. They come to the Red Sea. The Red Sea parts. The Israelites go through the Red Sea. They cross on the other side. The Egyptians chase them, and they enter through the same corridor of the Red Sea where the waters are parted. But at that moment, as the Israelites step off of the Red Sea, the water crushes in on the Egyptians, kills the army, and the Israelites are free. And they are told on that day to commemorate what the Lord had done. And for well over a millennia, uh, here with our story of Jesus, the Jews, the Hebrew people, had faithfully celebrated the Passover. So Jesus, Jesus redefines what they are to commemorate, what they are to remember, what they are to celebrate. We're going to read in chapter 22 of Luke again. Starting at verse 17. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus, while he celebrated the Passover with his disciples, shifted or refocused that celebration from what God had done uh, with the Israelite people, with the Egyptians, to what God was doing now. And he was instituting what we call the Lord's Supper. 
So Jesus asks us and he asked them to, to remember him, to act in remembrance. Remembering was a way of life for the Hebrew people. Uh, the Old Testament is full of examples of remembering by God and by his people. Of God in Genesis 8, God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock. In Genesis 19, God remembered Abraham and destroyed the cities where Lot lived. In Genesis 30, God remembered Rachel and opened her womb. In Exodus chapter 2, God heard the Hebrews groaning and he remembered his covenant with patriarchs. Of men in Exodus 13, Moses tells God's people to remember the day that they were delivered from slavery. In Exodus 20, God's people are exhorted to remember the Sabbath. In Numbers 15, God commands his people to remember and do all of his commandments and to be holy to your God. In Deuteronomy 5, remember you were a slave and the Lord brought you up out of Egypt. Therefore, keep the Sabbath. In Nehemiah 4, Nehemiah encourages the people to remember God and to fight for their brothers and sisters and their husbands and wives. Throughout the Psalms, the people of God are encouraged to remember the Lord, to remember the deeds of the Lord, to remember his name. And Jonah, Jonah, while he was in the belly of the great fish, said, when my life fainted away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. In the New Testament, the thief on the cross, Luke 23, says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In Acts 10.31, Cornelius is told that his prayer had been heard and his alms remembered before God. And in Galatians 2, Paul reports that he was encouraged to remember the poor. So in almost all of these acts of remembering and in other acts that we can find in the scripture, it's not so much about just remembering, but it's the accompanying action that goes with it. God remembered and acted. It's not as though he forgot his covenant with Abraham to bless the nations and to for his descendants to be numbered among the skies. So when the scripture says that he remembered Rachel, his, his grandson's wife, Abraham's grandson's wife. It's not as though that he had forgotten her, but he remembered her and opened her womb. When, when Nehemiah was encouraging the people to remember their God, it's not as though he was asking them to do a mental exercise of recollection of, remember, we have a God. He was saying, remember God and fight for what's right. When the thief on the cross was asking Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, it's not as though the thief simply wanted uh, uh, Jesus to remember the good old times while they were on the cross. It was Jesus, remember me. And when you remember me, accept me, embrace me, allow me to be in your kingdom. So when Jesus asks his disciples to do this in remembrance of me. I submit to you that he's asking much more than just a mental exercise of recollection or recall. He's asking them to remember, to remember, to act in remembrance that would foster a deep emotional response for what he had done. And that emotion, 
that emotion should lead us, when we remember, should lead us to a resolve and to an action, to act in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. So let's remember. Let's remember who we are. Let's start there. Let's remember who we are. I'm going to let the Scripture do most of the talk here. Romans chapter 1. We're in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God... God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die... They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourselves because you, the judge, practice the very same things. I want to go back and reread verse 28. And instead of saying the words them or they, I just use the word you because that's what Romans chapter 2 says. We are guilty of the very same things. Verse 28. And since you did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave you up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. You were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. You are full of envy and murder and strife, deceit and maliciousness. You are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. 
though you know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, you not only do them, but you give approval to those who practice them. That is who we were. Ephesians chapter 2 says it very similarly. I'll read this one. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And in this context, Paul's writing about the relationship between Gentiles and Jews, but he makes it very clear to those of us who are Gentiles what we once were before Christ. Verse 11 of chapter 2. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's who we were. That's who we were in Jesus. That's who all of us were. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, your sweet grandmother, the most godly person you know, which is probably your sweet grandmother, were this. Without hope, without God in the world. That's who we were. That's who you were. That's who I was. So let's continue then with who he is. That's who we were. But who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the Almighty One. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He is our advocate. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the bread of life, the beloved Son of God. He is the bridegroom. He is the chief cornerstone, our deliverer. He is faithful and true. He is the good shepherd, the great high priest, and the head of the church. He is the I Am. Jesus is the judge, the king of kings, and he is the lamb of God, and he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Lord, our mediator before God. He is the Messiah. He is the mighty one. He is the one who sets us free. He is our hope, our peace, our redeemer. He is the risen Lord. He is the rock, the sacrifice for our sins. He is our savior. He is the Son of Man, the Supreme Creator of all, the Resurrection. He is the life, the door, the way. He is the Word and He is the truth. He is the victorious one. He is the wonderful Counselor. He is the mighty God. He is everlasting Father and He is the Prince of Peace. Jesus was all of those things before He came to earth and because He came to earth. He left heaven. He was in that perfect fellowship with the triune God. And he came to this place, this broken place. He lived, he breathed, he worked, he sweated, he cried, he mourned, he laughed, and he celebrated. Yet he lived perfectly in complete fulfillment of the promises and of the law. And at the end of his 33 years, he was sacrificed. He took on the punishment for our sin that you and I deserve. He died an excruciatingly painful death and for but for a moment lost that sweet fellowship with God. And you can hear it in the agony of his voice. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet he knew it had to be done. And in his final breath, he said, it is finished. And he gave up his life. He did all of this. 
He allowed his body to be broken. He allowed his blood to be spilt. He allowed all of it. For what? Because he loves us. Because he wants to be with us. To reconcile us in him. To reconcile all of creation in himself. That's who Jesus is. So for those of us who are in Christ, who are we now? For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, who are we now? Well, back in the Ephesians passage, let's read chapter 2 and verse 13 and following. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have submitted our lives to Christ, those of us who are followers of Jesus, who are we now? Well, we are together with Christ. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are recipients of of God's promises. We have hope and God is in our world. We have the peace of God and we have been reconciled to Him. We have access to God. And we are a dwelling place of God. That list of who we once were and who we are now in Christ. Wow. What a difference. And Jesus is there in the middle. You see, we don't, we don't remember a cross with a man hanging on it. We remember an empty cross. We don't remember a tomb that has the dust of a decaying man or the bones of a dead body. We remember an empty tomb. Because though Jesus died for our sins, He died for our sins, we remember that He was also resurrected from the dead. And in His resurrected body, He he ministered to His friends and and He taught His friends and and all the teaching that He had done for three years that was beginning to come together and beginning to make sense to His followers. And then He gave the commission to His friends to go out and share what Jesus had done. 
So ever since that time, his followers have been proclaiming the gospel all over the world. And that is why almost 2,000 years later that we can stand here today and together remember and proclaim that Jesus saved us, that Jesus changed us, that Jesus rescued us, and that he wants to do the same for all people of all nations in all neighborhoods, in all cities, and in our downtowns, and in our suburbs, and in our towns, and in our villages. Jesus is Lord, and we are to proclaim that. So, when we do this, when we do the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Him, it comes with that compelling emotional response to be active and to share. He did this for me, did it for you. He did it for those around us. Do you know Jesus? Have you been pondering it for days or years or weeks or months? Should I become a follower of Jesus? Should I give my life to Christ? Is it real? You may even be delaying that response because if you were like me, you were afraid to become a Christian because to do so would mean to admit that you're not. And somehow the accuser has confused you into thinking that people would be disappointed around you. They would be disappointed that you have been pulling the wool over their eyes all these years. That's just deceptive. Because the believers in your life, the ones who have been praying for you for years, Months, weeks, and days, and maybe even this morning have been praying for you to give your life for Christ. And you can do that now. You might say, well, how do I do that? How do I give my life to Christ? Well, He's listening. He's right here. And He's hearing you. He knows your heart. All you have to do is talk to Him. Maybe something like this. Jesus... I need to admit to you and everyone else that I'm not a Christian, but I want to be. So Lord, this moment, this day, this time, I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of pretending. I give my life to you. You can pray that kind of prayer. Just do it right now. I'm going to pray. and You can pray your own prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much. We thank you for giving us that command to remember you. So Lord, this we do in remembrance of you. Because we recognize that you came. You were in the flesh. And you lived perfectly. And that you gave yourself up. That you sacrificed yourself. That you took our place a punishment. And Lord, we give our lives to you today and every day, recognizing that we kind of switch places and that while you take our punishment, we receive your righteousness. And somehow in this spiritual exchange, Lord, we become righteous, not because of the things that we do, but because of what you have done. So Lord, as we remember today, As we remember today, help us be raw with you. Help us be real with you. Help us open our hearts to you. 
And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. So grab your elements now if, if you haven't received, gotten them yet. And uh, let's take the Lord's Supper together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says this. This is verse 27 and 28. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So I just want you to take a moment. Spend some intimate time with the Lord. I'm going to pause here for about 20 seconds. If you need more time than that, then you can press pause on your player. If not, then just pause with me and let's let's talk to the Lord. Let's consider ourselves, consider Him, confess our sins before we move forward. Thank you for hearing our prayers, Lord. So, we take the bread. We take the bread. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three and 24 say, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we take the wine or the juice or your water, whatever you have. Verse 25. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So for 2,000 years, the followers of Jesus, of whom we are among, have been taking the Lord's Supper. And today we remember him. What's next for you? What is God stirring in your heart? What are the emotions and the thoughts and and how will you let God use them? I hope you have enjoyed today's service. We're going to finish with a benediction of Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. God bless you. If you would like more information, visit our church website, 
at www.fbcbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street in Belton, Texas. We hope to see you soon.